verse 22. We're going to finish up, maybe. We're going to try to finish up uh, our, our series today on fruit of the Spirit. And we've been talking about these. And what are fruit of the Spirit? Fruit of the Spirit are what the Holy Spirit is supposed to produce in you. And you say, well, I just can't do that. Yes, you can. He lives in you. And uh, so it, it, with Holy Spirit on the inside of us, we, we should be having these things just come out of us. And the problem is that sometimes I don't let them come out of me, Marcy. I hold them back and I, I said, no, no, you know, and I don't walk in these things. So starting in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Remember, he says fruit, not fruits. See, if we, we call it fruits, then we can say, well, I, I, I walk in this one, but not this one. So, yeah, no, Holy Spirit wants you to walk in all of these. He's not passing them out. This is just what he produced. So the fruit of the Spirit is, not are, is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Now listen, we've covered all these. If you haven't been around, go to uh, Apple or Google Podcast, subscribe to it. You can go back and listen to all these. They're on YouTube. They're on Facebook. Get into these. Let it change your life, okay? So he says it's faith. Now verse 23 Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So in other words, if I walk these things out, there's no law that, that can stand up to me. You know, that, that's the awesome part about God here. He says in verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. I love verse 25. He says, If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. That means that just because someone lives in the Spirit, that's our salvation. But just because someone's living in the Spirit doesn't necessarily mean they're walking in the Spirit. Well, how do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. That's how I can recognize if I'm walking in the Spirit. That's why he put that there. And so there, it is possible to live in the Spirit but not walk in the Spirit. I have to allow Holy Spirit to produce this in me. Go one page over. We've read these every week. You should know these by heart by now. Rachel probably does. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Make no mistake about it, God will never be mocked. For what you plant will always be the very thing that you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant corrupt seeds of self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from where? From the everlasting life of the Spirit. Now, if you're reading that out of King James on your lap or your phone or whatever, it says uh, eternal life. The original language of that says the Zoe life. What is Zoe life? Zoe is the God kind of life. So what he wants us to live is the God kind of life. And so the Holy Spirit inside of us should be producing fruit out of our lives. He should be producing love, joy, peace, and all the ones that we've covered so far. And remember, fruit is simply something that is produced. 
from something that is sown, from a, that's a product of a fertilized seed. And so today I want to go back to verse 24, if you will. Uh, no, verse 23. Meekness and temperance. We're going to try. Everybody say try. To cover both of these today. Now, when we think meekness, it's not what we've been taught it was. We, we think meekness and we think it's somebody who, who won't stand up for themselves or it's somebody who, who you know, avoids conflict. And, and remember, all of these f- parts of the fruit so far have been how I deal with who? Other people. Except these two. These two are actually how I deal with God. So meekness, when he's talking about meekness here, he's not talking about meekness in somebody who just lets somebody run over top of them, somebody who lets somebody be a doormat. But I want you to look. uh, We're going to read this out of two different uh, books. We're going to read this out of Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and then we're going to read it out of Vine's Expository Dictionary. In Webster's Dictionary, he says this. He says that meekness is softness of temper. Let that settle. It's softness of temper. It's mildness. It's gentleness. It's forbearance under injuries or provocation. And I know it sounds a lot like long-suffering, doesn't it? Those are almost identical. But there's more to this definition. It is humility, resignation, and here's the big one. It is submission to the divine will. Without murmuring or peevishness. Meekness is actually when I look at God and I say, I see you in my life. I know you're working in my life. And I am not going to complain about where you have me in my life. Oh. It is submission to the divine will. Without murmuring. Or peevishness. In other words, you're not getting ticked off at God because of where you are right now. But when a person is walking in meekness, they settle into God's glory. They settle into that grace and know that his grace is enough to get them through this season into a season of victory, into a season of production, no matter what goes on. And they refuse to go whining and crying and complaining to God about it. Now, I know none of us in here ever do that. We've never had that pity party, right? It is submission to the divine will without murmuring. Now, let's go to Vines. Vines Dictionary says of this word that meekness is an inwrought grace of the soul. And exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. Meekness is firstly exercised towards God. Not becoming a doormat letting people run over me, but when I, I look into my life, you say, but things are going crazy in my life right now. Matter of fact, if you looked at my life right now, it looks like hell. Okay. Does that mean God jumped out? Do you think that he got, in, he got 
concerned over the troubles of your life and jump, jump ship? Do I think that God just is like, well, man, you have jacked this thing up. You have messed your life up. I'm going to get out over here. When you get everything settled and you get everything calmed down, I'll come back. See, when I'm walking in meekness, I'm looking at my life and the chaos of my life, and I'm going, okay, God, here we are. We're here. This is what we're at, whether I made this mess or not. And I'm going to sit right here, and I am going to trust you to bring me through this. I'm not going to whine, cry, and complain. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get mad about God because where are you, God? It feels like you jumped ship. Remember when Jesus was asleep in the bottom of a boat and some storms came and they came down to him and they said, hey, don't you, aren't you worried about we're going to die here? That sounds like a lot of our prayers on it. Hey, you who? I'm, I'm dying here. Adam did it. Who told you you was naked? That woman you gave me. He wasn't blaming Eve. He's blaming God. The woman, you. So what he's really saying, I'm in this shape now because of you. How many times do I do the same thing? I allow my own stuff to get in the way, and then I turn around God and say, where was you at? I wouldn't be here if, it wasn't, if, it was, if you had done your job. Remember Martha and Mary? Well, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. (laughs) And he had waited days before he came. See, what meekness, when, when I allow Holy Spirit to produce this meekness in me, I am going to look at God as my sovereign king as the ruler of everything, and no matter what it looks like in my life right now, I refuse to whine and cry and complain to him about it, but I choose as a life of thankfulness and a life of glory and a life of praise and a life of knowing my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory, and so I'm not going to complain about what I don't have right now because I know he is able to keep me until the day that he brings me about. But I don't always get it right, Ruth. I don't always get it right. Let's go back to this definition. It is that temper of spirit. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good. This is meekness. When I accept God's dealings with me as good. But this doesn't feel good. He didn't say that everything was going to feel good. But he did say all things work for my good. That even the hell that I go through, he will work good in my life out of this mess. That no matter what chaos is there, he will work good. And when I'm going to walk in meekness, I'm going to say, okay, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It hurts. It hurts. But I know you, and I trust you, and I know that you have got good for me, and I know that you know the plans that you have for me.
that they are good and not evil. So God, I don't see it. I don't get it. But I trust you. And all of a sudden, what he says is here is we're walking now in meekness that the Holy Spirit produces. See, this meekness has nothing to do with me letting Ted just run over top of me. This meekness is me sitting back going, God, I don't get this. Man, I don't get this. But you know what? You're good. You're faithful. You've always been faithful. If you didn't hear that, somebody just said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. <laughs> he said, is that temper of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. Ooh, this is hard stuff. Because sometimes God wants to lead me into places and I resist. I'm like, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do it. Why are you making me do this, God? I know what you're playing, but I don't like it. Why are you making me? See, what happens is I'm walking in the opposite of meekness. And so we, we come into this place, this place and we find that we're not walking humbly toward God. We don't look at his sovereignness. We tell him that my plan's better. But God, but God, God listen. Listen, 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 listen. Am I the only one that's ever talked to God like this? Galen's with me, I know. Am I the only, I mean, God, wait, I've got a better plan. I would never say that to him, but that's really what I think. And all of a sudden I find out that this slice of the fruit called meekness isn't operating in my life. And I'm standing in direct opposition to the plan of God for me. And when I, Pastor Dave, that's a bad place is when I'm standing in opposition to God. Go to, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. And I, I love the Amplified Classic. <laughs> Listen, you've got different versions of the Bible. The Amplified is like the dictionary version. It's like, it's like the illustrated version. You see, thus there was a dog. and it say, Amplified says, thus there was a brown dog with a white spot on his left toe. That's, that's how the Amplified works. Look at Philipp, uh, yeah, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectively... At work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. It is God working in you to produce what? Power. Power to do what? Power to do his will. Power to do his work. Power so that he looks at you and is in pleasure and delight. Verse 14. Everybody just hang on. Do all things. See, some of you have already read the next few words, so you know where this is going. Do all things without grumbling 
and fault-finding and complaining against God. I don't grumble and fault-find and complain against God, really. God, where are you at? Why'd you leave me out here? Why'd you do me this way? I'm only trying to follow you and look where it's got me. <laughs> Everything's turned upside down now, God. See, if you'd have done it my way. <laughs> do all things without grumbling and murmuring and complaining and fault-finding against God. Mm. And questioning and doubting among yourselves. Do all things without question. Well, we never, isn't that funny? We have been taught for years, you never question God. But we always do. Well, I want to tell you first thing, God's not afraid of your questions. If he was worried about you really questioning him, he would have wiped David off the face of the earth a long time ago. But our problem is, is when we go before God and we lay out the battle plan and said, here's how we're going to do it. And you know what, Rachel, sometimes he will let you have your way. Because I'm just being so hard-headed and so stubborn. And then all of a sudden I find out my way wasn't the right way and now I'm in a mess and now I've got to figure out how to fix this thing. And what I need to do is sit back and say, okay, God, I don't have the answers, but I know you do. This is walking in meekness. This is actually walking in the Spirit. He says in verse 15, that you may show yourself blameless and guileless. Well, wait a minute. What's going to make me blameless? Not grumbling. Not complaining. Not fault-finding. Not having my midnight argument with God of why my life is the way it is. And why he let me down. And when I get that junk out of my life, Phyllis, then he says, I'm blameless. Then he says, I'm guileless. He says, then you're innocent and uncontaminated. Children of God without blemish, blemish, faultless and unrebukable. Well, glory to God. You mean all I had to do was shut my mouth and I was unrebukable? <laughs> All I had to do was quit telling him how he messed everything up and if he'd have just done it my way, all of a sudden I'm unrebukable. <clears throat> In the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, spiritually perverted and perverse, among whom you have seen birth, oh, seen as bright, not birth at all. You have been seen as bright lights, stars or beacons shining out clearly in the dark world. The person who is walking in this piece of the fruit called meekness is a person who recognizes the hand of God on their lives and they're comfortable enough with their father to allow him to work and not get ahead of the process. They recognize the hand of God and they don't have to understand the hand of God but they recognize it and they can sit back and I know that's none of us that complain to God about the state of our lives. But let's, for argument's sake, let's say we say these things. I don't have enough. I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. I know you never do this. 
I don't understand how I got here, God. But somehow, I don't know where you were. I don't know where you were at in the middle of this mess. But, folks, a meek person, a person who's going to allow the Holy Spirit to operate in, will recognize God's hand in their life. They'll sit back and say, okay, here's the boat, here's the rudder, you steer. Because you know where the good fishing spots are. You know where the calm waters are. You know where the port of safety is. And I quit. I'm not going to try it anymore. See, Moses, everybody knows, I don't know if you remember the story of Moses, but he was born an Israelite. Pharaoh was killing Israelite babies. His mom built a little boat, stuck him in the water, went down. Pharaoh's daughter found him. His sister's trailing behind to make sure everything's good. She said, hey, I know a woman. She's a, a, a Hebrew lady. She's uh, just gave birth. Her, her baby's not with her. She can feed this baby and take care of it. But at the time after he was weaned, he was put back in Pharaoh's house. <laughs> and when he was put back in Pharaoh's house, the word tells us that one day Moses came out and he saw an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew And Moses actually went and looked around. Now listen, he looked around, made sure no one was looking. And he killed this Egyptian and he buried him. And he thought he got away with everything. Scot free, I'm good. Well, the next day the word says that he comes out and sees two Hebrews fighting. And he says, hey, why are you fighting with your brother? Break us up. And they said, why? What are you going to do? You're not the prince over us. You want to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And he knew somebody saw. So he hightails it out of Egypt, goes out into the, into the desert, Midian. <laughs> and it says that Pharaoh was so angry when he heard about what happened, he was looking to kill him. So he marries, a, he marries this lady. He finds this, this priest out there in Midian. He marries his daughter, and all of he's doing, he's doing shepherd. Raised in a palace, now hiding in the desert. Has a family. He, he's heard that Pharaoh's dead now. One day he's out here with these sheep doing his own thing. And he looks over and there's this tree on fire. Well, that's odd. The tree's on fire, but it's not burning up. So he goes over to get closer. And we know the story. All of a sudden, God speaks from the tree, from the bush, and says, hey, 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 don't come close. Where you're walking's on holy ground. I want you to remember something, though. How did Moses get to this point? Because he had murdered somebody. And yet here's still God appearing to him. Folks, you ain't never out of the place of God's grace. And when God has a plan for your life, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. He's taking you. He will put you where he wants you. Mm. This was a murderer we're talking about here. Verse Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going. Look what happens 
in this argument. God's telling him what he's going to be. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, and I'm reading out of the message just because. <laughs> I've had people lately tell me, well, that's not a translation. I know that. It's paraphrase, and I like it. <laughs> it's time. This is God speaking to Moses, the murderer. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. God had a plan for his life. Doesn't matter what he had done in his past. Mm. Some of y'all need to grab a hold of that. No matter what his past looked like, God still had a plan for his life. And Moses answered God, but why me? I know this is none of us. But why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said in verse 12, I'll be with you. And this will be proof that I am the one that sent you. And when you have brought the people up out of Egypt, you will worship God right here in this very mountain. Now here's God. Now if you don't know what happened, he, he had his staff in his hand and he throws it down. It becomes a, a snake. And he says, well, pick it up. And he said, this is going to be a sign. Everybody will believe you because we're going to do miracles through you. He, Wait a minute, God. He said, then you're going to lead the people out and you're come, going to come right back here to this very mountain and you're going to worship me. God's not even addressing the fact that he had killed that Egyptian yet. Then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your fathers <laughs> sent me to you and they ask, what is his name? What do I tell them? See, he's giving God another argument. He said, why are you reading this? Because I want you to know, you're not the only one that argued with God. One of the greatest pastors in the world, pastor of the biggest church, he led millions out. He argued with God too. He said, well, God just don't, he can't see me. Well, we're talking about a murderer here, Greg. And we're talking about one that's got a plan on his life, no matter what their past was. He says, what is the name? What do I tell them? He said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel. I am sent me to you. And then for the rest of this chapter is a whole conversation of how God, what God's telling him, how he's going to use him. Go to chapter 4. Verse 1. I love how the message puts it. And Moses objected. They won't trust me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say, God appeared to him hardly. <laughs> he argued with God again. See, meekness is when we not do this. And so here for the, from uh, verse 2 and on is where he says, what's in your hand? He said, a rod. Well, take the rod, throw it down. It become a snake. He says, pick it up. So he picks it up and he said, this is going to be a sign. They will believe you. 
He said, but, I, but what if they don't believe me? He said, take your hand and put it inside your coat. And pull it out. And when he pulled it out, his hand was completely covered with leprosy. He said, now take your hand, stick it in again. And pull it back out. And then it was as smooth as a baby's bottom. And he said, but what if they don't believe me? I know you never argue with God like this. I know. Verse 10. And Moses raised another objection to God. He threw a stick down and it became a snake and he picked it up and it became a stick. His hand caught leprosy and lost leprosy in just a matter of moments and he's still arguing with God. Isn't it funny how God can do so much stuff in our life but when one little thing happens. Now wait a minute God. Wait, 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 wait. See, meekness is when I look at God's work and I remember everything he's done. And I say, you know what, I don't get it and I don't know how it's going to happen and I don't know how we're going to get there, but get me there. Because I trust you. My past, he's a what past? Your past died with your old you. Your past died a long time ago. You don't have a past anymore. All you have is from the moment you said yes to him, that's the only thing he knows about you. The word says that he took all your sin and cast them into a sea of forgetfulness and remembers them no more. He doesn't remember your sin, but you're letting something that he doesn't remember keep you from thinking he's got a plan for your life. And if he doesn't remember, why in the world do we keep trying to remind him of it? Yeah, but God, you remember that time I did that? And he'll know. No, I don't remember that. Why? Because he chose not to. So verse 10, and Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me, I stutter and I stammer. You say, why are, we do, why are you reading this? Because I want you to know, I, it doesn't matter how much you argued with God that it's time to stop. Because just like Moses, he had a plan for Moses' life and he was going to take away all his objections. God said... Verse 11, who do you think made the human mouth? Who makes some mute and some deaf, some slighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? Now, we'll get into that later because that is a very poorly misinterpreted thing. Um, verse 12, God says, so get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. And he said, oh, master, please send somebody. Man, what is wrong with this guy? Snakes, leprosy. Listen, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll be your tongue. I will be your man. But God, but God, but God. Man, I have, don't know how many times I've had this same conversation with God. Given him every excuse. See, what was I doing? I was operating in the office of meekness. Meekness is when I just go before God and say, man, I don't get it, but whatever. Whatever you say, that's where we'll go. 
And what it doesn't make sense, God, but it doesn't have to make sense to me. Oh, Master, please send somebody else. Now, look what all this arguing did. Verse 14. And God got angry. Opposite of meekness, it brought about anger. Does that mean God doesn't love him? No. No. Does that mean God doesn't love you? Because you've given him every excuse and you've argued and you've fought and you fussed. No. But it does bring about anger. Listen, I love my kids. That don't mean I don't get angry with them. Come on. He said, don't you have a brother, Aaron the Levite? He's good with words. I know he is. He speaks very well. And in fact, at this very moment, he's on his way to meet you. When he sees you, he's going to be glad. Meekness is when we see the hand of God at work. And we can settle back into it. Moses argued and argued and argued until it finally brought the wrath of God, the anger of God up. And when it brought the anger of God up, God finally said, fine, what, I, what you could have done will still be accomplished, but it won't be all on you now. He said, I'll have to bring your brother in to speak for you. Imagine if Moses would have just said yes. wonder what kind of eloquence he would have had wonder what he would have actually done. But it took his brother. So what is meekness? It is firstly and chiefly toward God is when we see his hand at work and we're comfortable enough to let him do it. Without what? Murmuring, complaining, and grumbling. Let's cover temperance real fast. Let's cover temperance. Vine Dictionary says this about temperance. Because we have this idea of temperance as being this, don't drink alcohol, don't do all this stuff. It has nothing to do with that. Um, Vine says it's self-control. It's, prefer, it's preferable rendering as temperance is now limited to one form of self-control. Because that's what we think it is now. It's various powers bestowed by God upon man are capable of abuse. The right use demands the controlling power of the will under the operation of the Spirit of God. So what is temperance? It is self-control. It is when you finally give it up. <laughs> we won't have to have faith when we learn to walk like this. Because faith comes. I don't have to build my faith up. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And when I learn self-control, people say, well, I just can't help it. That's a load of junk. When it comes to our weaknesses, well, I can't help but worry. I can't help but worry. Listen, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know how bad things are. I can't help but worry. But isn't worry a choice? Well, self-control says you can control that. Because yourself is worrying. You know? Self-control. Well, I can't help but read that, see that, do that. Mm -mm. 
I can't help but get angry. I can't help but do this. I can't help but... Anytime that you're saying, I can't help but to do it, it's something where God is telling you it's time to learn self-control in that area of your life. Yeah, but it's so hard. Nobody said this was easy. <laughs> Go, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. I can't help it. Okay. I'm glad you're here. Look at verse 27. But like a boxer... Strictly dip, discipline my body and make it my slave. Handle it roughly <laughs> and subdue it for fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit. Ooh. I myself should become unfit, not stand the test, be approved and rejected as a counterfeit. So what's he saying to do? My inner man, my spirit that's connected to God needs to get a hold of all this stuff on the outside and say, hey, get yourself under control. Well, I can't help but worry. But your spirit that knows God and has the Holy Spirit connected should get a hold of that. Well, I, I'm just a worrier. I've been a worrier. My mama was a worrier. My daddy was a worrier. You're, let me tell you, your father's not. Your Abba's not a worrier. He stepped out on the edge of nothing and said, let's see some stars. And there was. He's, he's not a worrier. So when I'm going to walk in self-control, see, we think it, when we think self-control, we have been so taught to look at all these other things. Well, you just got to use some self-control in everything of your life, your fears, your doubts, your confessions, the words that come out of your mouth, self-control. Oh, this, it's a struggle, I know. Because everything in me wants to do the opposite. Romans chapter 8. Just flip back a couple. We're almost there. Self-control. This is hard. He says, for the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plans. Oh, I love that. My, when my mindset's trying to figure out what's making me more comfortable, all of a sudden now, not only am I not in control, so I'm not using temperance, but then it fights God's plans. Now it's taking me out of meekness. And where does this battle start? Right in my thick noggin. Come on. Folks, you're going to find out that most of the battles you fight in this life, it's going to happen up here. And whatever battle is won in here will be what out here produces. But you've got to get control. He goes on here, <coughs> I don't believe that. I'm glad you said that. We're going to look at the word for it in a minute. Um, he said, 
fights the plans of God and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure in those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. Now Christ lives His life where? He's living His life in you now. But you've got to control this thing. It's called self-control. He lives His life in you. And even though your body may be dead, because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life into you. And you are fully accepted by God. So what do I have to do? Self-control. Because sometimes, Jay, everything in me wants to do the opposite. Sometimes I want to choke Tyler out. <laughs> it ain't ever happened yet. But sometimes I want to just grab, you know. But what if it's not that bad? What if I just want to go out here and just cry to God and say, "You, I would have been somewhere else if you wouldn't have made me this way. And I know your word says that this is wrong, but I'm doing it anyhow. When all I had to do was take a hold of myself, allow Holy Spirit inside of me to allow me to control my flesh. And in controlling my flesh, he lives his life out in me. Man, folks. This is temperance. This is when we, we, we allow. And when, when I do it, what am I? I'm fully accepted by God. <clears throat> Verse 12. So then, beloveds, the flesh has no claims on us all. Well, then why do I find myself doing the stupid stuff my flesh wants to do? Because I'm not using self-control. Hmm. <laughs> The flesh has no control on us all. We have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, when we taste His abundant life. What does the flesh do? It desires not to show love. It desires to choke Tyler out. It desires to have pity parties and whine and cry and gloom, despair. It desires not to show peace. It desires to get angry. I know, not yours. I'm just talking about mine. Uh, it desires to argue and debate and cause division. You know, these are all the things we've covered so far. It desires the best for itself and doesn't really care what's best for others. It desires to look for the worst instead of trusting God. It desires to do its own thing because it's not sure God's idea is the best. 
These are what the flesh wants. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to end with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what we talk about? Self-control. Where's, where's self-control start? Casting down what? Where's your battle start? In your mind. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against what God says, the knowledge of God. So these are the strongholds in your life. So what's stopping me from operating in the fruit of the Spirit? Strongholds. And what are those strongholds? Where do they start? In my imagination, in my thought life, in my thought process. So where's my self-control need to start? Well, I can't help but thinking things. I'm not saying things won't pop into your brain. But what you ponder on is your choice. What you think on and 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 think on, and think on that's your choice. You want to think on the negative? That's yours. You want to think on what's going wrong and what's going bad? That's your choice. You're standing in complete opposition against God. He said, well, cast down imaginations and every whole thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every, everybody look at this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what do I have to do if I want to start in self-control? I just have to quit doing all this stuff my, 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 that, that my flesh likes to do. No. What I first need to do, you, you all know I was a substance abuse counselor for 14, 15 years. And I would have patients come in, and they would sit down in front of me, and they'd say, well, I relapsed. I used, and uh, so I'd start asking them, when did you relapse? Oh, it was last Saturday night. There was a party. I thought, I said, nope. When did you relapse? Well, it was Saturday. I, that's when they, you know, I went to the party and they did the, No. When did you relapse? See, they relapsed way before they went to the party. They relapsed when their mind said, I can handle it. They relapsed when the opportunity was there and they pondered on that. Well, I haven't seen so and for a while and I know they'll be there and I, I haven't been around anybody and I've been real good see the relapse happened way before the action we're so hung up on the outward expression of sin we don't realize it happened way before my outward expression of it it happened when I started pondering on that thing and thinking on that thing and mulling it over in my head over and over and over again. And then I just said, I became obsessed with this little thought in my head. Folks, he says, cast down or, or bringing every thought into captivity. You want to walk in temperance, self-control, grab your thoughts first. Get a hold of your thoughts just like my patients 
before they ever did the action, they had already made their mind up. Temperance doesn't worry about the action. It knows if it can grab the thought and control the thought, the action is not even going to come into play. Are you with me? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is complete. That don't mean somebody else's disobedience. That's your own disobedience. So how do I operate in temperance? In self-control, I get my thoughts before they run away with me. Because once they run away, then I start whining and crying and grumbling and fault-finding. And I tell God, hey, God, i got a better plan here. Self-control, lack of self-control, led me out of meekness. And now I'm even that much farther along. And God's saying, if you can just trust me, all things are possible to him who believes. Amen? You can do it. How do I know I can do it? How do you know I can do it? Because Holy Spirit lives in you. I'm looking around this room today. I know just about everybody in this place. I know where you are. Believers. Okay? Holy Spirit lives in you. So you can do this. Because he produces fruit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. Oh, allow me to walk in meekness even more, Lord. How do I do that? I let you be the guide. I let you be the controlling factor of my life. I let you be the lead while I trust you to get the work done. And I thank you, Lord, that you're helping me to always take control of the things that have tried to fight me. And I will operate. And not only will I live in the Spirit, but I am going to walk in the Spirit. And when I walk in the Spirit, there is no law against me. In Jesus' name, fill us and thrill us. Amen? Amen. Amen.